Welcome back to the Stock Market Options Trading Podcast. My name is Eric, and this is episode 17. And what a great discussion this one is going to be. I think you're really going to enjoy this. I talked with Rance Mashek and Chris Mercer from MarketGear.com, and we covered a lot of topics because, listen, when you get the opportunity like I did today to ask questions to industry experts, guys that have been in this business on the other side of it, you know, we're on the retail side and these guys are on the other side. They really opened up for me and I really appreciate it. And so when you get that opportunity, you're going to take advantage of it. So we talked about all kinds of things. In addition to covering their software from marketgear.com, we talked about how technology uh, in the industry tends to get stifled after a large brokerage firm seemed to buy up these smaller firms or smaller companies. We talked about how Robinhood actually makes money. Uh, we talked about how backtesting can shorten your learning curve in trading. That's something that I've sort of already known and we share on this podcast and on the YouTube channel, but it can really um, you know, help you get there faster when it comes to your trading and how their software can actually help with that backtesting. We talked a little bit about fractional shares and why they even exist. Uh, and, and one of the things that, that I really took away here, and I've already known, but they really hammered it home for me, is the importance of proper trade journaling and really how difficult that can be, especially with options trading. And their software is able to help with this too. So I'm going to be looking at that. So I wanted to share that with you. And we talked a little bit about tracking institutional activity uh, using their software as well. So so real quick, after listening, be sure to check out marketgear.com slash Eric, E-R-I-C, for a special promo for listeners if you're interested in, in upping your game. Uh, and real quick, before we get started, there were a couple spots in the audio where um, Zoom dropped out. Uh, so there's a couple spots where if it doesn't quite make sense, that's pretty much what happened. The, the, the audio went silent for five seconds or so. But anyway, we had a great episode. All right, enough about the intro. Let's get into the discussion with Rance and Chris from MarketGear.com. All right, Rance, Chris, welcome to the show. I really appreciate you guys spending some time with me and my listeners. I'm definitely interested in learning about iVest and Market Gear, the software you guys have been working on. But I want to take a moment to, to give a little background from you guys for, for my listeners. Give me a minute or two of, of how you got in this industry and, and what you've seen over the years and a little bit of your history. As I've been in a, worked as uh, an educator in the space for quite a while uh, at a company doing uh, uh, training on uh, stock and options trading. And uh, one of the things that I found was there's just lacking in some of the, the capabilities in software. And uh, so we started building something up there, ended up being acquired by TD Ameritrade, uh, and in a very short period of time became director of options trading uh, at Ameritrade. And what a tremendous experience being able to work at the time with like 8 million clients and seeing what they were doing and educating on options and capabilities here and driving a lot of the development at uh, Ameritrade and what they were offering around uh, options uh, specifically in that case. And there were some things that was very frustrating to me when I was at the brokerage about what people uh, or what the brokers would let us develop and, and focus on. And uh, so when I left there, started building out uh, the platform we're going to be referencing a little bit today and really doing things that the the average retail trader needs uh, and should really consider in their uh, trading experience. And so we put this together, had uh, great success with it uh, and uh, great stickiness with it because we're providing a lot of things that the uh, that the brokerage firms are just flat out not. So uh, right. really, uh, yeah, this is kind of a quick snapshot of the background, um, but both from an education standpoint, uh, working with new traders, bringing them through the process, and then also working at a brokerage firm where you had a broad spectrum of uh, experience, and from that then building out what we've done since then. Gotcha. Okay. Chris? Yeah, I've been in uh, the industry since the early 90s as well. I, uh, I ran a, a NASDAQ firm back in the 90s. I ran the trading desk at that firm, so I was an old-school market maker back in the day. It's not really, not really something you see much anymore because of the computerization, obviously. But um, And uh, I was there for quite a while. I left the firm uh, to start an education company for stocks, options, and futures, um, and, uh, and then eventually added Forex. And in the process of adding Forex, uh, I had a Forex broker that uh, I got uh, wrapped up with that wanted my education for their users, and I started kind of doing some side work for them. 
And that brought me closer into the industry itself. That firm ended up getting bought out by a company called MB Trading, which was a, uh, a, a great trading platform for many years for active traders in the market. Uh, and then that got bought out by Trade King uh, back a few years back. And so I worked for Trade King. And what I did there was basically ran uh, what we call the API business, which was, uh, you know, we were the broker and we were looking for alternative uh, technologies for our customers to use that could plug straight into their account so they could, instead of just having to use the platform that we offered, if they had other things they wanted or they found they could plug it into our, uh, their account at our firm and trade with it. And so I was always, always loved looking at different software and different uh, things that were out there in the industry. Um, I've been a beta tester for platforms, including eSignal, uh, AIQ back in the day. Um, I've helped them with some developmental stuff as well. Uh, and then uh, eventually Trade King got bought by Allied Bank. And uh, at a certain point after that, I, I moved on and moved over here to iVest with Rants. Uh, a lot of it was because I saw the product when we were at Trade King and Ally and the way it plugged in and the customers responded very well to it. And I just felt like it had a lot of things that uh, most platforms don't have in this current day and age. And uh, was really, you know, they were really pushing the, uh, the envelope. And so uh, I'm happy to be here and, and working with this. All right, great. Yeah, I know um, the technology over the years ha has really evolved a little bit. I know as a you know independent retail tra trader. So a little bit about my background for you guys. I was I kind of got in. I was an Invest Tools student mm -hmm. for Thinkorswim. Um, I was not good with time. Ten, I don't know, fifteen years ago, <laughs> something like that. And that's kind of that was my foray. So I, I I did see this this what at the time was sort of this complex platform for me because options are a little tricky when you get into it. it's not that simple as just buying and selling at the beginning but they did have this educational component that component that got me kind of wrapped in and and i you know i got sucked in i've been kind of doing it ever since one thing that's crept up in the past few years that i've been using more is back testing modules really with options there's, there's been back testing for a while um, unless you were like a coder or something and i know ninja trader and some of these other platforms you could do some things with but to to the you know layperson, if you will, being able to backtest those in some kind of GUI been very difficult. And I think there's a lot more tools available now. And um, I'm glad to kind of, you know, have you guys on because I feel like you guys have been through that evolution and maybe, maybe kind of give us some hints as to what's um, coming. I, I had an interesting um, comment, if you will, in my Facebook group, uh, a guy, I, I mentioned that I was going to be talking with um, some industry guys like yourselves and and one of the things this gentleman mentioned was there has been a lot of smaller companies that crop up and then they get bought out the, by the big companies and then they feel like sometimes those products either get uh washed away or diluted or you know something like that have you guys seen that you know i, I mean you mentioned a few companies bought this and bought that i know think mm -hmm. td ameritrade bought thinkorswim have you guys seen a lot of that like what happens like after they they buy like i know when td ameritrade announced that they were going to buy thinkorswim i was like uh oh what am i going to do kind of th like there was a little right. worry there but what have you guys seen on that like how companies do they actually integrate it do they you know what what happens after that happens you know a, a buyout Go ahead, Chris, and I'll jump in uh, on that one as well. If, uh... Oh, well, yeah, I mean, I've, I've seen it, uh, you know, but the biggest issue is, you know, what, a lot of times in the mergers, um, you know, the technologies are not compatible. So what I would call legacy issues, right? Um, you, you're, you're one company buys another company and trying to fit the pieces together after they're done with the, with the merger and they've moved their customers into one pool and they've done all the, what they call onboarding to put everybody into the same name but there's a lot of the technology work in the background and what you start to find, actually, you'd be amazed how many, I'm not going to, I'm not going to name brokers, maybe ransom name brokers. I don't know, but I'm not going to name brokers, but there's definitely a, a lot of brokers in this industry where there are pieces of the technology that are still ba basically operating on a backbone from the early 2000s. And, you know, now you try to grab something new and realize, Ooh, this isn't that easy to, to meld in. And then sometimes they figure it out or sometimes they have to upgrade the back end stuff that you didn't know about. And sometimes they have to actually give up on it. I've seen all of those things happen along the way. And I'm pretty sure Rant has too. Yeah. So w one of the things that I know, so I, I happen to be at, uh, I was the director of options trading at uh, TD Ameritrade when Thinkorswim was acquired and was very uh, much involved with that integration. And, and what, 
uh, Chris is saying here is absolutely the case where, you know, it's square peg round hole. You've got different technologies you're trying to make them work together. And with some of these legacy, you know, companies that have been around for a while, they're on this, the backbone of their technology is not the, the latest stuff. And so it does make it difficult. And what does tend to happen, and you saw this in the case of Thinkorswim, and, you know, now uh, America has been acquired by Schwab, and we're going to, I'm sure going to see the same thing. When these integrations happen, it's all hands on deck to do the integration. So innovation stops, you know, development of new features, new capabilities, um, you know, slows down or stops. And then on top of that, as they move forward, they have to deal with all of these things that don't quite mesh well. So sometimes it makes new development difficult. And, uh, you know, that's why sometimes you see some of these other firms coming up that get a little bit of, uh, you know, some newer technology, uh, like, you know, for example, Robinhood, which we were talking about a little bit ago, uh, where you know, they've got a newer uh, base of technology. The challenge is they don't have enough of it yet. And so you definitely see those kind of things happening in industry. And the lack of when, when these mergers happen, the biggest thing I see is stagnation of development of uh, new capabilities and new features that, uh, you know, as the market evolves and shifts are really needed. And, uh, and so that's, you know, one of the things that I think that helps quite honestly helps us because we are on some of the latest technology and we're able to drive this forward and connect to multiple brokerage firms. So, Right. Yeah. And that's, it's what you said is exactly what um, my, my colleague or my buddy in the Facebook group said was, it seems like the innovation does get stifled uh, once that, that big firm sort of takes it over. And so let me switch gears real quick about, about these, these bigger firms. You know, there's been an evolution of, of fees and, and fractional shares. More weekly options have, have come about over the year. A lot, a, lot of, a lot of things to obviously get more people in the game, but also to keep people busier. And so, like with weekly options, there's a lot more um, options and more times and, and things you can trade. But what I don't understand is what's the long game for some of these firms where, uh, you know, I get, you know, with like a Schwab or somebody who has like umpteen trillion in, in assets, you know, how does, how does Robinhood make money over time? Do they, is, is it a game of eventually you'll have enough money to where you'll want help and then they'll offer services to the, to the people with the bigger accounts or how, how, do, how does Robinhood and these reduced fees, how, how does that how, how does, does that, that work? Play out for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How does that so, work? Well, so, you know, one, one of the things that happened here was, you know, Robinhood came out with, uh, you know, no commissions on uh, stock, uh, minimal on options, uh, competing against the, you know, the the ten dollar tickets at, uh, you know, uh, the 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 big firms that were there, uh, and what what has happened now is, you know, pretty much all the firms have gone to no commissions. Well, then how do they make money? Is it, you know, exactly what you're saying? Well, in the cases of, uh, of a Robinhood and a TD Ameritrade, what they're doing is they're selling your order flow. They're making money off of the trades that you're doing. Uh, they also make money on money sitting in that account a little bit, although in today's interest rate uh, environment, not very much. But what used to happen, and you know, you're with a firm that's charging a commission for your options trade, for example, um, you get price improvement. You know, you have this bid ask spread difference between what you buy it for and what you sell it for. That's you know, that's the published trade. But you could work between that. Um, well, now what's happened is when those orders get executed. So then you take somebody like uh, Robinhood, what they'll do is they'll work with a, a primary execution firm that will give them a kickback for sending in the trade. Uh, so it's called payment for order flow. So when that, when that trade goes there, uh, you know, uh, that it gets executed, then there's money that gets, you know, that goes over to, uh, uh, to, you know, to Robinhood for that order going to them. And the challenge with that, and this is the thing uh, that I, and I've noticed this without question since the change went to zero commissions on these others, uh, on these other firms as well, is that price improvement has waned. Right? You don't get as good of a between that spread as you used to do. And, you know, if you're doing a large trade, a nickel can make a big difference. And, you know, if you're doing a 10 lot options trade, so it's a thousand a share, uh, you know, a nickel's a big deal, uh, where now it's harder to get that price improvement because there's kickback going to the firm. So they're still getting paid. They're just getting paid from where the order goes, which one of my concerns is then where is that firm's loyalty? Is it to the people that are paying them? I mean, they need the customer to be able to get the flow, but where is it really going to, you know, where's their focus? And the other thing that I'll tell you that has also happened here is because it has reduced income to the firms, 
it has also had an impact on uh, on R and D, on development of technologies uh, for uh, you know for the users because they don't have the same pockets that they had before. A little bit less coming in. Now you take it something like a Schwab, they have money management and things like that as well. That uh, so they want a, a share of wallets. You know the the they want that that larger share of wallet, not just your active trading stuff, because they want to get into the money management and that's how they make money there. But in the the newer firms coming up like Robinhood, they're not at that point yet. Uh, they're just looking at making money off the flow of those orders coming through or a little bit of interest on the money you have sitting there. Uh, so it's a very different model and it makes it hard for them to continue you to develop and, and grow some of the capabilities you know and you see that at Robinhood I mean, Robinhood has done a great job of bringing in uh, uh, younger investors which is awesome uh, but one of the challenges they have is that you know they make it sound so simple because it is really simple the problem on their system the problem is it doesn't have enough information to make a, a really good uh, well-rounded decision because they tried to keep it super simple. And then you have people that get in trouble in trades because they, you know, they, they didn't have the information they really needed. So, so there's a little bit of uh, push pull there, but gotcha. um, that's what we've definitely seen. And it, you know, the, the, the kind of dirty little secret they don't like to talk about is they're still getting paid for the trades, just not from you. They're getting paid from where they send them. Well, yeah. and also keep in mind, you know, it's not like Robinhood was the very first broker that ever tried zero commissions. There was a firm called Zecco, in the past, there's been other firms. People have gone out and, you know, and the idea was by, by saying zero commissions, and back then there was a lot more payment for order flow. What they wanted was to get as many customers in the door. And, and you know, there are competing models, like Rand said out there. Um, you know, one model, if you want to start out strong, is to, do, to basically give stuff away, right? And so Robinhood succeeded very well in the free model before everybody was free with a platform that was super simple to use, almost like we would say too simple. It's like a social media that happens to trade stocks essentially. And, you know, it got the eyeballs. They got enough people on board that there's a value to that. There's a value once you have so many people that will listen to you and, and then you start to steer the ship and figure out how you can make money off of that. So they took that approach. Whereas, you know, the other end of the spectrum, as you mentioned, Schwab, you know, the big name in money management, I mean, you know, they got to the point where commissions, I, I believe, and I could be wrong on this, but I believe that I saw it when they went to zero commissions last year and led the industry to zero, they were like 8% of their revenue was commissions. And, uh, what the, and everything else was in the interest and the money management fees and all these other things. And, you know, where you, as you look at some of the others at the time that were still charging and were dependent and maybe their commissions were still 30, 40% of their revenue. And so they got hurt because they had to go to zero when Schwab went to zero. And, you know, that really shifted the industry. And so, you know, it is, it is just different models. Um, we like to say, by the way, there's six buckets of customers out there. Everything from on one side, you know, the guy that just basically is just learning, doesn't want much, you know, buys and sells one or twice, once, once or twice a year, all the way to the extreme six bucket, which would be your active day trader running a few trades a day or more and everything in between, right? Somebody that knows about options and, and stays involved every day, you know, that type of thing. And, you know, you can see where the target is, right? And, and the target for Robinhood was on that first bucket, whereas, you know, a lot of Ameritrade and everything else is in the more in the middle. Certainly what we look at is trying to build new features for customers in the middle, right? Try to give things that, that, again, because the industry hasn't really, the whole industry has not really innovated for the last six or seven years. There's been too much merger and acquisition and trying to integrate. We have been able to work on things that nobody else is doing within the platform and target that middle group better than worry about the extremes. Something you said, it kind of uh, made me think, you know, uh, so I have kids in, in school, right? Uh, they're younger. Um, my son's in middle school. My daughter's in elementary school. And I'm pretty sure at this point, there's zero financial education in the schools. Mm -hmm. And if you listen to the teachers, and by the way, I used to teach middle school 20 years ago, the public, uh, I don't say public education because there really isn't, isn't any, but the, the, the public education of it is you're going to go to school, go to college, save your money, get the 401k, and then hopefully if you've saved enough, you can maybe live off your 7% per year. Like that's still this kind of um, overarching theme in society, you know? So to see Robinhood come out 
and engage this younger demographic who I'm pretty sure didn't really <laughs> learn a lot in high school. If you will, you got a lot of teens and 20 somethings buying fractional shares. They were able to engage them. Part of that has to do with the, the world is faster. We have apps and things today that can enable that uh, for people. But long story short, what I'm sort of prepping my kids for at least is that that 401k probably isn't going to be enough. It's not going to be there. If you're, if you're working that gig economy, do you even have that option? Right. And so being able to manage your money, I think one thing, the, the one good thing that's come out of that, the, uh, the, the Robinhood situation, the zero fees is it's gotten people at least in the game. They're, they're trying, they may not be succeeding, but they're taking ownership of it. And I think ultimately the long game is going to be good because we're, you know, we're going to live a lot longer than we think we are. They're not going to let you pass away, actually, because if you have Social Security or whatever check, you're, they're going to keep you alive. I might end up with a, <laughs> my head in a jar as long as that, my uh, Social Security check is coming into the, that facility. You know, I might be there. I may not be able to trade at that point, but, <laughs> but, um, but I think, you know, and I th that's how I approach it as I look forward, you know, and if I have another several decades here, um, you, you gotta do, you can't just not do something, right? Well, you, you've, you've gotta do something to, to keep that cash flow and income coming in. Right. And, and you know, when you started with this, you know, the, this path, uh, you know, I'm like, uh, you know, the 80s call, they want that, you know, back, right? So that, that's what it used to be, right? It used to be this idea of you went to work for a company, you went to their, you know, the pension plan way back, you know, now more 401k, but, uh, but, but that's gone, right? Like you mentioned gig economy that's gone. Uh, and even if you have a 401k and you're putting money into whatever, what are you going to do after you get done? You know, after you, you are at a point where you start to, to uh, take that out. Uh, the, the challenge you have in today's environment is you have to, if, if you don't um, uh, financially educate yourself and understand how to make your money work for you, you're going to have a problem. And it no longer is the, oh, well, just, just, just dedicate your, your life to this company and they're going to take care of you with a 401k or pension and you have a nice little retirement. That's no longer the case. And even as you mentioned, the gig economy, that didn't exist. You better do it yourself. So I like yeah. the fact that, that Robinhood is bringing people into the market. My only challenge is that is it is the information they're giving enough for people to really make strong, educated decisions. If you look at size of account there compared to some of these other firms, it's pretty clear that it's the starting group. It's not the ones that really, you know, are in there actively managing larger amounts. And quite honestly, they just don't have the tools for that yet, right? So, yeah. so yeah, it's, I mean, I'm glad that people are join, joining in and taking that responsibility of their financial future. Um, and, uh, you know, it's going to, it's going to take a little while for, you know, for some of those tools at places like that to get up to speed. And again, that's what we're trying to bring to help, to help people get better results uh, quicker and uh, be able to understand really their financial picture quicker than what we're doing. By the so, way, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned fractional shares a couple of times. I did want to comment on that because there's actually, a, there's actually a lot of logic to the fractional share thing for brokerages trying to stand out, right? Trying to differentiate themselves from other brokerages because, you know, what happened was, didn't used to be there was much of a need for fractional shares. You know, stocks used to split all the time and prices stayed normal, right? And if you remember where some of the pricing was on some of those stocks back in 2008 at the bottom, there was no such thing as a, I mean, there were barely any double digit stocks, much less triple digit stocks, right? And then, but then we go on a 12 year run and you've got stocks like Google and, and Amazon and Apple, stocks that people want to own who just refuse to split like they did in the old school, like in the 90s and whatever. And so what happens is, you know, the brokerages start thinking, well, how could we, you know, if we could come up with a way that people could trade these stocks, even if they don't have, you know, $3,000 for one share, mm -hmm. right? That's going to be a, a way to market something that we can go out and get new customers. And that's why they started figuring out ways to do the fractional share stuff. Now, of course, after COVID hit this year in the market plunge, suddenly Apple splits and Tesla splits. Why does that happen? Because they want to make more people capable yeah. of buying their own stock, right? So it may be undone, but that, it's like those types of things are what revolutionizes, revolutionizes the industry from time to time is somebody realizing, okay, there's a hole here, people can't be involved, and so we're going to go focus on that, and maybe it works and maybe it doesn't, right? And the, and the fractional shares are a great example of that. Right. Should I do this? How much should I do? So they, they're more at risk than the Robinhood 
you know, guy or girl that's got $300, you know? So I think blowing out your account <laughs> when you're younger, cause I've done that before. I've blown I've out done a that before. Of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think they're, they're able to get, you know, and you think about that time in the game, but um, I, I forget what book it was. And it was like the people who lose the, lose the most money in the markets are the one with the egos. It's the lawyers, the doctors, they come in, they've retired. They got all this money. They were looked up to, they were leading things. And then the market just makes a fool of them. Right. So I think that, you know, there's, they're getting a cheap education, right. Um, as opposed to, I probably paid a little bit more when I was, um, you know, experimenting and that kind of thing. But uh, but I want to bring it back to the educational tools um, and and things about backtesting. I know you guys have been working on something. You've you, you've uh, I, I've test drove it a little bit. Tell me a little bit about um, iVest and how how that got started. So one of the things that I uh, was doing when I was at Ameritrade was I kept bringing things to to the table that I wanted to see in the platform, and quite honestly, it was very difficult to. Uh, to, to get that. If you couldn't show a, and, and I mean, this isn't unique to Ameritrade. This is the way this, the game goes. You got to be able to show where this is going to bring dollars to the farm in a pretty tangible way to make that happen, which usually means trade lift at a brokerage firm. How can it generate more trades? Well, uh, you know, backtesting doesn't generate more trades. It, uh, you know, it's a tool for you to get a better understanding and hopefully long-term it does, but it's kind of hard to quantify that at a firm when you want to bring that feature in. Well, there's a, there's two features specifically uh, in our platform that are incredible for learning and understanding and improving your results. And one of those is backtesting because the ability to go in uh, and, and we have a, an extensive options backtesting piece where I can go in, set up a trade on a particular day, move it forward and see how how that trade would behave. Um, I can uh, try, I can compare different trades at the same time over an event, let's say an earnings event or a stock split or some, some other thing, an acquisition, whatever. So you can see how these things behave. And by understanding that, you learn a lot more about what's the right approach to, to take. And, you know, versus doing it with, you know, we also offer virtual accounts, by the way, so you can have $100,000 of play money to, to work with um, and, you know, without risking real cash. Uh, but, the problem with that is it still takes time, right? You still have to have time for the trade to do whatever, where, and, and you don't know what events are going to happen when necessarily, right? Where the back test, you can go, oh, these things happened. If I put on this type of trade or maybe compare a couple of them at the same time and go through that event or through that run or whatever, uh, it, it can let you see uh, and, and gain that experience of, of how that type of trade is going to behave. So the back testing shortens the, uh, the learning curve tremendously by being able to look at any particular market condition, any market event, whatever, and be able to look at what would happen if I rode through that event. And, uh, and by the way, if, you know, what would happen if I rode through it with the stock, what would happen if I rode through it with maybe an options as a protection position uh, versus just, a, so it gives you that kind of re, uh, ability really quick. And then yeah, one other made, one. You mentioned something, uh, that term trade lift, that was interesting to me. That's, I'd never heard that before. I would actually argue that, um, that they're right, that the more you backtest, you probably trade less, right? Because you're, you're in theory smarter. At least that's been my experience where I'm like, I, I'm more patient. I'm less impulsive because I'm looking for my certain event to happen. Mm -hmm. So they probably knew that, <laughs> that the adding backtesting to think or swim or whatever, it wasn't going to, you know, generate the same. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and we have, 20 years worth of uh, options data to be able to go back and back test and 25 years of stock data, actually longer than that. Uh, and, but you can go back and see how this, you know, how things would behave over, over the 08 meltdown of the market. You know, uh, you know, we have the recent with COVID and how that impacted things, but you know, there's been several events over the last 20 years that you could go and see how your, you know, how, what would have happened if you rode through those and, and it's a, you know, they call them black swan events or like the once in a lifetime, except that I've lived through four of them. So, uh, and I'm not that old. <laughs> so, uh, I'm not that young either, but, but the thing is, so, so understanding how to ride through those, you gain a tremendous amount of experience and you do it in a back testing. You're doing it without the risk of, uh, uh, of capital. Uh, you know, and that's a, a really important one. Mm -hmm. And then there is one other one that we have that I think is, is worth mentioning because you hear about it and you, you, all sorts of educators and books and all that talk about the importance of journaling. 
but the vast majority mm-hmm. of people don't do it because it's so difficult. And one of the things that we've done is we've created an auto journal process. So when you do a trade, it identifies the type of strategy. It'll automatically identify over 70 different types of strategies that you could be doing. Um, it'll track that trade. And then, you know, for, for your listeners, you know, one of the things that I talk about when we're talking about journaling, and this is platform or, you know, you know, in a book uh, or on Excel, whatever, I recommend always, uh, what's the strategy you're doing? Where did you find it? Um, because where you find, you know, if, if I'm listening to, you know, mad money and I'm getting ideas there or I'm getting ideas out of a particular website or, uh, you know, Wall Street Journal, whatever, are these working for me? So how, I, where I found it, why am I trading it? And what's my exit strategy? Right. What, what am, how am I going to ride this through and what's my exit point? And then when you do exit, did you follow your rules? Did you follow what you said your exit strategy was? And if you just do that, what the strategy was to know whether the strategy you're trading is working for you or not, find out where you found it, is it working for you or not? Is your approach working for you or not? Uh, is your, are your exit rules working for you? If you look at those four points um, and be able to look at, at what of those are working and not, and the ones that aren't working, stop doing, and the ones that are working, do more of, that right there is going to improve your results. But yeah. if you take what's not working and then go to like a virtual account or go back to back testing and adjust the strategy, adjust your approach, and then bring that back to your trading, uh, to your real trading environment as you start to see improvement on that, uh, it's a, uh, just a tremendous value. I think that journaling, effective journaling, will do more to improve your results and your improve your income from that than than anything else out there backtesting facilitates it quicker right so you can learn quicker but journaling of what you're actually doing and seeing what that is and keep working on what's not working well and do more of what is working well can help those results tremendously one of the uh one of the cool features about the journaling on the platform too is you know so so like let's take an example right let's say we're talking about all the trades that I did from the Wall Street Journal. I can tag that every trade as I do it, you know, what we call hashtag, hashtag Wall Street Journal, right? Or I, if it's a, let's say they're bull call spreads, like I do a bunch of bull call spreads. They're automatically hashtagged by the platform because it recognizes that. And then it puts them all together, right? It says, hey, you know, over the last six months, you've ran however many of these bull call spreads and your average profit or loss was this and your average win ratio was this and the average number. Of and we, you can just see it visually and now you know, wait, am I good at these bull call spreads or am I not good at these bull call spreads? Am I getting good information out of the Wall Street Journal the way I'm looking at it or reading it or am I not? But what the other thing that kind of happens with that is, uh, or the thing I find useful is on our platform, you can also then go to a stock and it will display your past trades. It'll draw a line from the where you started the trade to where you ended the trade, green if it was profitable, red if it wasn't. So now you can visually see how you've traded the stock over time. Uh, and if you hover over those lines, it'll show you like the P&L and everything like that. So not only can you break everything down by type of trade and see what the net results of any type of variable that you've been tracking are, but now on the charts themselves, you can also see all these trades and be able to tell, you know, hey, you know, at this point in time, why did I run this trade and look at the chart and go, was that a smart move or not? And you can see it right there. So I think giving people those types of tools, and I, I did want to throw in um, one other thing on the back testing, which is we also have customizable and preset scans. And one of the things you can do in the platform is, okay, I want to, I want to run this scan every day, and let's say it comes up with 20 stocks in the market that meet that criteria that day. And then you say to yourself, well, okay, before I run these, do I believe this strategy, this scan returns winning trades or not? Well, now with our back testing, you can go back and run the scans. You can pick July 1st or whatever of earlier in the year, and you can see what stocks came up in the scans that day. And then you can pretend like you started the trade that day and you can see how it works, but you can stop to any day along the way and see if it's working or not all the way to the end of the trade. Now you know whether or not the scan is giving you good stuff or not that you should then be more confident in it moving forward. So there's a lot of tools like that in the platform and you just, I mean, you just don't see this at the brokerage firms right now. With the journaling, and I totally agree, you know, it does help. And I think with options, it's it's really hard to journal because like for me, I know, you know, I trade a lot of SPX, SPY, but on different time frames. So I'll trade like weekly SPX, but I might trade 30-day SPX, and even though it's the same ticker, and and sometimes, you know, I do a lot of vertical spreads, being able to track those separately and not just get like, because I know in Thinkorswim, it'll just say, oh, here's how you've done on, you've done an SPX. 
right? But that right. doesn't tell me that my weekly option strategy necessarily is better than my monthly strategy. Well, if you here will. you can know how you did in SPX, how you do with bull calls, how you do with bull puts, how you do with your weeklies, how you did with your monthlies, right? Yeah. It, it, all at the same time, right? And, and so, yeah, that's a, that's a big, uh, yeah, that's a big part of this. And how do you, how do you work to get the right uh, information for that? And uh, you know, and, and by the way, the other thing about this, you mentioned it, with options being difficult. I'll tell you that there, there's quite a few different ways to to. Um, uh, there's different things out there for stock uh, journaling. Most of them you have to either enter them in or import or whatever. One of the things about us, it's it's all automatic. But um, but the thing with options is there's nobody that touches options are really really difficult to journal and uh, especially and, if you start rolling and that, I think that's where it, it gets. And that, know, yeah, if you're that was selling naked puts mm -hmm. and then you get assigned and then you start selling calls, being able to sort of, you know, wrap that, that wrap that strategy under an umbrella is difficult, I think. Uh, yeah, it really, and, and that's, it's one of the things that we actually do. If I, let's just take a simple uh, strategy of a covered call, right? So you, you do a covered call this month where you bought the stock, sold a call, and now, uh, you know, that expires, you sell the next month. And then that one's a little bit in the money. So you roll it, you buy that back and you sell the next month. What this will do is we have this concept of life of trade and it will bundle all of those together through the, through the entire thing. And, uh, you know, I, I have one I did on, uh, on ABC that I was in it for nine months and did 16 trades over nine months on that particular stock. Uh, again, doing a lot of weekly stuff and rolling it. And it bundles that all. So you can see each of the moves, but then you see the bundle as well. You see the complete picture of the whole life of that trade. Um, and it really helps you to be able to understand, you know, what your results are and how it's playing out. And, uh, you know, even things like if you do some of the really complex, you know, the, the more complex ones like iron condors uh, mm -hmm. and, you know, now you have to move one side of it because how things are going. The fact that you can see that all together and uh, keep track of it, it'll actually even keep track of your adjustment moves by itself, the adjustments, uh, anything you, you did that. It'll also keep track of how many trades you rode through expiration. Um, you know, sometimes people... You know, they get they get in a trade. It starts to go the wrong way, and they get you know deer in the headlight, and they don't do anything, and they ride through expiration, uh, and then they get hurt. Uh, where you know, if you're properly managing it, cut your losses and ride the right ones through, and then you can see how that's playing out. Those type of things are invaluable. And and you know, yeah. we're talking about the platform there, but even if you don't do that, to to journal will give you so much insight. The challenge then, if you're going to use a you know Excel spreadsheet or a you know a logbook of some sort. How do you aggregate and get the the insight out of that? Uh, you know, how do you see how your uh, you know how you're performing on length of time and trade, or uh, or how are you performing compared to the S and P 500? Um, you know, or what's your win loss ratios and how's your portfolio growing? All of those things are a lot harder to do uh, if you don't have it automated, right? And people just don't keep up with it. And so that's one of the things about this. Yeah. So it's, it's one of the most powerful parts of the platform is the, the journaling capability to improve your trading results. Nice. Um, yeah, I'm guilty of that. I'm not tracking <laughs> properly tracking. Um, and so let me ask you, let's, let's maybe back up just a second. So market gear or the, the, the trade tools, sort of an API into your brokerage. So you would place the trades in your platform platform that would flow through to, like I use Thinkorswim, for example. Is that yeah, how so, that works? Yeah, so Thinkorswim, or, which is, you know, part of TD Ameritrade, right? So right. any account with, yeah. right? So it, it, basically what happens is you, you would come into the platform, you would set up an account, you'd choose a, a brokerage firm that we link to, and, we you know, it's Ameritrade, E-Trade, um, Ally Bank, uh, Choice Trade, Tradier, Trading Block, and all these different ones we connect to. And um, then, uh, you know, then you have full access to your account right from the platform. Your account balances are going to be there. Uh, the uh, Not only that, your, your, all your positions are available for you, so you can see all that. Uh, your order status when you when you place a trade. And, you know, I know the users can't see this, but you see me click around the screen, what you see come up here is my call to the to uh, the brokerage firm to get these positions and then I can see all that. So it doesn't matter where you trade. Uh, it works with, uh, you know, any of those firms and uh, we just connect to it and we pretty much have had it set up unless you're going to transfer money in and out of the firm. Everything that you need to know from your gains to your positions, to all that are right within uh, our platform. So you don't have to leave that to do that. You just do your trading right from here. 
and you can gotcha. flip very easily between, oh, I'm doing a virtual account. Oh, I like this trade. Let me go do this on my real account. Oh, now I'm going to do this one over at my, uh, you know, like I have my IRA in a different account than I have my active trader account. I just flip between them. And it's just, yeah, it's I was going to ask, it, it. can it connect to IRAs and things? Uh, um, yep. Yes. It okay. can connect to, if it's a, if it's a brokerage, now 401ks, you know, it depends on the firm because some firms do allow right, self-direct, right. right? But you're certainly your IRA, uh, your uh, trust account. I have a trust account connected at, uh, at Ameritrade actually. So uh, you can, you connect to different brokerage firms all in one platform. So even if you have any different firms for some particular reason, um, your trading experience, no matter which firm you're trading at is the same because it's one platform and just connects right. these different ones. Yep. Interesting. And where is the, where's the platform pulling the like pricing and stuff data from? Is it pulling it from the brokerage or is it pulling it from online? So for what we do is for, uh, for all of the fundamental data, for institutional data, for all the stuff, we're, we're uh, pulling that from direct sources, like, for example, for earnings, and that we're pulling Morningstar. Uh, we're actually pulling SEC filings for the institutional activity, the, uh, the 13s that are filed, and we pull that straight in. Uh, and then for pricing, uh, we have a couple options. One, we, we do have uh, quotes available through the platform, but um, you also can pull the quotes direct from the broker. So if I have my TD Ameritrade account, I'm getting quotes directly from TDA. They're real-time quotes, uh, you know, just like you would if you're on the Thinkorswim platform. It's available to you uh, or on their website. Uh, and we get it directly from and – the, and the firms really want us to do that, right? Because if you're trading with Ameritrade, they'd rather provide you the quote than from some third-party source. So we connect yeah. right with the brokerage for, firm for those. But all of the other data we house. We get it from those sources I mentioned, but we house all that because that allows us to mine this and and uh, and help provide insight in the platform that would otherwise uh, be you know be a little bit more difficult to get. Uh, you know, if I want to go in and do some, for example, if I want to go in and, and uh, do some earnings analysis and look at well compared to their uh, estimates and their actual how are they doing? You know, are they hitting their numbers? Uh, do they have a good trajectory? Uh, uh, you know, how's their, their growth in particular areas going? We have that readily available right within the platform for them to do, uh, you know, target analyst target prices, things like that, mm -hmm. all right within the platform, uh, very easy to access. And one of the real big focuses we've had is how do you keep it simple and yet keep it robust? And, and that's a, a big part that we focus on on how we layer information, give you a, a snapshot when you want it, we call it a, the dashboard, and then from that drill into what you want to. Uh, but, you know, if I just want to know how fundamentals are, I can see it in a really quick little thing. Uh, then if I want to dive into that, I can't, right? So by housing all the data, we're able to do that uh, pretty effectively. Nice. Yeah, I, I, I looked around in there, um, and it's in the web browser, and it was pretty pretty responsive i thought i was sometimes by the way that, that, that takes us back to our original topic which was you know how the industry is sitting right now when it comes to technology and mm -hmm. you know our stuff is literally just a few years out i mean we, we've made a couple changes along the way but our stuff is literally just a few years out so we've got the latest uh tech behind all this stuff and yeah the fact that it is as fast as it is whether you're in the downloadable version or in the browser as you said it's always that way because of it's how it's designed. I'm sure Rance can talk more about the tech side, but this is just the difference is everything should work this fast in a browser at this point. The, the browsers are fully capable of doing it, but most yeah. of the brokerage platforms are built on tech that they can't get there. Yeah, I, I've seen that. Um, so one, of the, one of the things in there that I, and I've never used this, but it's like I see it and it seems like it's helpful. Uh, but you mentioned the institutional activity. So it, did, mm -hmm. you, did you say you pull that from the SEC? Is that where that? Yeah, right. So what happens from? is the, the institutions, yeah, the institutions have to file what's called a, a form 13. And there's different ones uh, depending on what, you know, how they're, what they're specifically reporting, uh, like the 13 after, you know, so on. So what will happen is that uh, with a, a particular uh, company, I can see, very quickly who the top holders are. Uh, I can actually go in on a company and I can see all the institutions that, that hold this, uh, how much of it they hold. Uh, I can even look at how they have grown in this position over time. Like, uh, you know, this was uh, showing one on the screen, which you guys can't see, but I'll show like the, they were in and out of this a bit in the case of Vanguard here. But I can see how they're being held over time. But then on top of that, uh, so, you know, I, I can also so I can see how the institutions are playing with that stock. 
right? So are they going in and buying more and whatever? So one of the things that uh, I, I'll tell you, it's been invaluable for my, my personal uh, portfolio is that um, I read on the coattails of what institutions are doing. You know, I, I would describe it as an institution. It's like one of those big tankers out in the ocean. And uh, when you're first starting out, you know, your account's more like a jet ski. You know, you can just pop, bounce, and head in a different direction where it takes a mm. tanker a long time to make that move. So when you see the tanker making the move, you start jumping in. So you're not going to pick up when they first get in, but they don't buy it all overnight. They buy it over a period of time. And so as they're doing that, that activity, you get to still benefit from the rise from those uh, going into it. So I can look at a particular stock and see what the institutions are doing with that stock. Mm -hmm. Or I can even go into a specific institution now and see what the top holdings are. So I can look at it in either direction. And so, you know, if you look at it from that perspective, um, you know, and you want to see, okay, well, you know, let's just take an example, Vanguard Group, for example. You know, I know one of their biggest holdings uh, happens to be Microsoft. And you can see how they've been, you know, how it's been growing over time with uh, with Microsoft and how they're still acquiring more of it, uh, you know, and so on. So, it gives you the ability to look at it either way. And I find that, you know, the institutions, right or wrong, the institutions drive the market, right? You know, especially when you look at a stock, which we also, by the way, track in here, which is um, what is the uh, percentage of ownership that the institution has of a particular stock. And so if, if you see that an institution has a very high uh, you know, a percentage of ownership of a stock, they're going to really drive the movement of that. And so, uh, you know, you see what's going on there. You see they're still being acquiring more of it. You ride on those coattails. That, that's been a big part of my, uh, what I'd say, my medium-term holdings uh, in the last, you know, uh, you know, couple decades I've been into this is I want to make sure the institutions like the stock, right? And, you know, yeah. are we seeing an increase in institutional ownership and things like that and be able to ride that way? And, you know, you can go everything from a dashboard into a deep dive to literally see which institutions – how much they have, how they've been adding to it, and again, be able to ride that wave if you want to. Now, do you think that works? Uh, do you think that works the same way as the the ETFs like SPY, QQQ? Are are institutions actively just buying those as well, or do you think they're still more you know stock picking inside of their own? Well, uh, no, the, most institutions are uh, are still uh, operating from the standpoint of. Uh, uh, being in the individual positions, although uh, institutions definitely play with the broader indices as well, uh, you know, like like SPY or DIA, you know, like, for example, I know that right now SPY is, is almost 60% uh, held by institutions, but it's actually been uh, decreasing over the last uh, quarter. Um, and, you know, we've looked at volume around specific ETFs, and around stocks that make up those. Uh, like, for example, we actually did a, some research just recently, uh, and we, we looked at the options activity on SPY and SPX, but then we also looked at the options activity of every one of the 500 stocks of the S&P 500, which is what SPI represents. And the institutional activity between the two are not the same. The individual stock activity is still driving a lot of what's happening with it versus the larger bucket of it. But absolutely, the institutions are also using uh, the ETFs, but majority of it is in the individual stocks. Individual stocks, yeah. That, that's what I thought. I th but yeah, man, I can't wait to uh, get a little more time in there. I know we're, we're kind of running out of time mm -hmm. today. Mm -hmm. um, I don't want to, uh, I'd love to have you guys back on to talk more about this. I want to get some more experience with this. Uh, but, but real quick, uh, let the listeners know how they can um, get a hold of this and try it out. Uh, maybe give them the website. You mentioned you might be able to set up a, a page page for them, for the listeners. Yes, yeah. So if you go to uh, marketgear.com, marketgear.com is our, our, our retail product, and you can, you know, see the information about it and that. But if you go to uh, marketgear.com slash Eric, uh, we have a page specific for uh, for your listeners and what we're actually going to do for them is give them 50%, first of all, there's a two-week free trial anyway, but then beyond that, we'll give them 50% off for the next, for the first three months on the platform. So we'll give them a really nice savings on it. Uh, let them see what this, you know, see what it's like. And, uh, you know, we want to give it long enough of a benefit that you could see the real value in journaling and, you know, using the backtesting to improve your trading and things like that. So we wanted to give you a, a good amount on that. So we're going to do uh, the first 90 days 
uh, for three months at half price and the first two weeks for free. And all you do is marketgear.com slash Eric. All right, that's E-R-I-C. And, and by the way, getting on the platform, we do fairly regular uh, webinars, A, to teach people on the platform, uh, how it works, show them all the features. Uh, we do one on stocks and one on options to kind of separate them out because there's so much in the platform, you can't, you got to break it up. But we also do, uh, you know, stuff about uh, different option strategies and stuff as well. So getting in there and getting, you'll get the pop-ups in the platform to let you know when those are scheduled next and you can sign up if you want to come learn yeah. about options themselves or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I signed up for one of them next week. I'm, I think it's the options one. So I'm looking mm -hmm. forward to kind of seeing that and, and, and see what I could do. So this was awesome, guys. I really appreciate it. You know, and I know the listeners can't see it right now, but it really, it really looks nice and it is very responsive in the web browser. So I'm looking forward to tinkering around in that webinar. Yep. And I appreciate you guys coming on the show and, and hope to have you back. Uh, look forward to it. By the way, just you mentioned with the browser thing. We actually also have app for Android and uh, Apple uh, for both the tablet and the phone. And we also have download for uh, PC and for Mac. So if, you know, it's a little bit faster, but the technology we're using and how we're doing it in the browser is still really fast. And uh, you can still so issue trades from the mobile apps. Yep. You can issue trades from the mobile app. Uh, yeah. Yep. You can okay. do everything. In fact, the, the full functionality uh, you know, there's a little bit of a real estate thing, so you have to move around a little bit sometimes. But for yeah. even journaling and the all the scans, all that stuff is available in the mobile app as well. Yep. Over, yeah, over half of our users now log in through the mobile app. So. Yeah, the journaling is something I'm really I, I need to get better at. So I think that's one of the, you know, if I can if I can consider placing my trades through the platform and just start looking at that for a while, I think that would. Would help you. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll tell you, you'll get some interesting insight when you do that. You'll, yeah. you'll, it, yeah. It's amazing. I mean, it, when we first launched it, I was, I would have sworn I was really good at straddle plays. And because I have all these bragging returns, right? These ones that, you know, those ones that you tell, oh, I made, yeah. a, you know, 140% in a week on Amazon. Um, but then I'd have all these little ones, that, you know, 20% loss here and there. Well, at the end of the day, I was not getting the results I wanted. And by stopping it in real accounts, changing my approach, and then, um, uh, you know, and seeing what it was doing and actually I did the exact thing the platform does. Use backtesting, change my approach. Okay, I think I got it down. Now let's go do this in virtual. Saw it was working, move back to real. You know, and it's a, just a tremendous ability to be able to do those kind of things. And uh, that's a, a big part of what we've uh, developed in this. Nice. Well, guys, I appreciate it. Um, I'm going to put all the links to the websites in the show notes. Uh, for those listening to the episode on on the podcast, you can go to stockmarketoptionstrading.com for the latest episode. And when it comes out of YouTube, I'll put those links into the description. And um, I look forward to it. Thanks a lot, guys. I appreciate right, it. Thanks very much. Appreciate being here. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Stock Market Options Trading Podcast. To join our community of options traders, head on over to patreon.com forward slash vertical spread options trading for details. But before you go, you should know that everything discussed on this podcast and in this episode is for informational purposes only and should not be considered financial advice of any kind.